Hello, and thank you for joining in again to this podcast as we continue to journey through the New Testament. We have covered the four Gospels and the Book of Acts, which contains the historical section of the New Testament. And today we turn to the epistles, or letters, that were written during the New Testament times. And the first of these is the Book of Romans. We will be covering these in the order in which they appear in our New Testament. So today is an overview of the Book of Romans. If you listen to the introduction to the overview of the New Testament, you will know that there were some documents that we said were available for you. Those are available in the podcast for you to download, and I would encourage you to look at those. Two of those documents were related to the epistles. One was a chart for the, all the epistles of the New Testament, and the second one was one for just the epistles of Paul. Now, of course, epistles, what we mean by our letters. And so I encourage you to look at that and see the order because the order that we have these letters in the New Testament are not the order in which they were written. The book of Romans was Paul's sixth letter that he wrote, and it occurred sometime during or near the end of his third missionary journey. When we look at the book of Romans, the theme, we might say, is God's righteousness revealed. Paul wrote to believers in Rome in order to do four things. Number one, to clarify the gospel of salvation and justification by faith. To clarify the relationship of the Jews and Gentiles with the gospel. Thirdly, to encourage the believers to live by the Spirit and in unity. And fourth, to tell them of his plans to visit Rome. Now, The epistle to the Romans has been considered by some to be Paul's greatest work and by others the most significant book in the Bible. Martin Luther wrote this, The epistle is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. If you know anything about church history, uh, this was the book that changed Martin Luther's life. He was a Roman Catholic priest. Uh, He was a teacher, but he wrestled with the issue of sin and forgiveness of sin in his life. When he read and studied and understood the book of Romans, it was like a light went off. He understood that, that salvation and justification come by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And there was nothing you could do to earn and deserve that. It literally changed his life. He began to teach these truths in the seminary and ultimately led to his break from the Catholic Church, although that was never his original intent. Anyway, as far as the book goes, the book begins with a personal note, but the majority of the book reads more like a doctrinal thesis than a letter. It provides a doctrinal basis for all of Paul's teachings and all of his other epistles. Uh, It is the most systematic and detailed exposition of theological truth in all the Bible. Yet, it does contain a practical section toward the end for applying these theological principles to your life. When we look at the purpose, the purpose is basically stated in the theme that Paul is trying to clarify and help people understand this gospel of salvation by grace through faith 
And to deal with this tension between the Jewish and Gentile believers in the church. Now, Paul had never visited Rome uh, since his conversion, and he was not the founder of the church that existed there. Rome was a very important city in the world. In fact, the most important city in the world in that day with several million inhabitants. And the believers who lived there were probably the result of the Jews that were saved on the day of Pentecost and then returned to Rome or maybe Jewish and Gentile believers that were saved during some of Paul's other missionary journeys and then they returned to Rome. Somehow they came together and formed a church. Some believe that Peter founded the church in Rome, but we have no really accurate account of that happening. If there is a theme verse to this book, I believe it would be in uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So this gospel of righteousness of God is revealed to mankind through Jesus Christ and lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul is presenting to us in the book of Romans. When we look at the, how the book is structured or how it is organized, I believe there are three major sections to the book. Some might break it down into more than that, but I think the first eight chapters, chapters one through eight, might be called God's Righteousness in the Gospel. Paul introduces the letter to the Roman church by affirming his calling as an apostle and then declares that theme verse that we just read. But then he goes on and talks about that the reason that people need God's righteousness is because that all people are sinful and guilty before God. And so Paul takes time to explain how all classes of people are sinful. He talks about the immoral people and how they are guilty before God. He looks at the moral person who also is a sinner and does some of the same things as the moral person. Then he looks at the Jewish person or the religious person and even they are sinful and guilty before God. And therefore, Paul's conclusion is that all people are sinful and guilty before God and are deserving of God's judgment. But then Paul reveals God's solution to this sinfulness of mankind. God, by his grace and through the death of Jesus Christ, has provided mankind's, for mankind's righteousness, for his redemption, for his justification, and two other terms we'll explain later, propitiation and imputation, all these re relating to this concept of righteousness. And this all is acquired simply by faith and not by works. Paul makes a very important point to say this is not by works. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. So then, having been justified freely by God's grace, believers now have peace with God. They are dead to sin. Uh, they are slaves of God and have been delivered from the law and are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. All this is in chapters basically six through eight. So believers now have the ability to live apart from sin, not necessarily to be perfect, but to live apart from sin by the provision of the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And that, that's a very big picture overview of the first eight chapters. There's so much in those chapters that we'll have to deal with when we get into the text itself. The second section would be chapters 9 through 11, uh, God's righteousness revealed in his sovereignty. And here Paul is dealing with the nation of Israel as it relates to the Gentiles and to the church and God, how God's overseeing that. And God has fulfilled his promise in the Old Testament to save the Gentiles, but this has come as a result of Israel's rejection of their Messiah. He talks there about how they have been broken off, the branches that have been broken off, but they can be restored. And so he says the Gentiles have benefited, but they should not boast because God will one day restore Israel. He talks about that. This is a very doctrinal section as well, and we'll spend some more time in that when we get there. Then the third section would be God's righteousness revealed in a transformed life. And this is the more application part of the book. So he's laid this solid foundation of doctrine, of justification by faith, uh, of life in the spirit. And now he turns to the practical side. What, what should the believer do? And so the believer is called to live out the righteousness of God in his life. That This should be lived out in a daily pattern. He talks about some very specific things. Uh, and it relates to his relationship to other believers. And he talks about that in there. And finally, he concludes his letter by giving his personal plans, by greeting the saints and offering a final warning against false prophets. Well, there again, that is the great big picture overview of the book of Romans. So much that's involved in those chapters that we'll have to deal with in our next episode. But when we look at, again, the book as a whole, there are some important themes that we find running throughout the book. I call these keys to understanding. The first is the righteousness of God. Righteousness speaks of perfect conformity to an unchanging standard. The righteousness of God is his perfect goodness and his perfection in all areas of his character. God is perfect. It's related to his holiness. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly righteous. He is without sin and always acts in accordance with his own moral standards. So God is perfect. He's righteous. He has no sin. He never does anything wrong. Uh, no one, no person can measure up to the righteousness of God because all people are sinful regardless of any human effort. Some people, obviously, are worse sinners than others. Some people are sweet, nice people like your dear old grandmother. And some people are thieves and murderers. And we, in our own minds, measure this as some as worse than others. And even in the scriptures, some sins seem to be worse than others. But in the end, all are sinful. Even your sweet dear grandmother, all are sinful and because of sin, stand guilty before God. And this sin is this barrier that keeps us from coming to God. But God, in his solution, imparts his righteousness to mankind through faith in Jesus Christ. We do not have a righteousness that can measure up to God's, but God gives us his righteousness. Because Jesus has become the acceptable sacrifice for our sins through his death and shed blood, and because he has conquered death through his resurrection, God imparts his righteousness to people through faith. 
in two primary ways that Paul lists here in the book of Romans. The first is a person is justified. That means they are declared righteous before God for all eternity. Justification is like a legal term. Even though they are guilty, now they're declared not guilty, but more than that, they're declared to be righteous. The second, God credits righteousness to the account of the sinful person. This is a accounting term where something positive has been added to your account. In some sense, we have a positive righteousness given to us by God. Both of these occur in a person's life when he or she places their complete trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, apart from any kind of good works. This justification is a completely free gift from God. It is by grace. The next theme is the faith versus works, and we see this developed throughout the scripture. Sometimes the works part is represented by the law. To most people, it seems that a simple act of faith is not enough to receive salvation and eternal life. It is logical from a human standpoint that a person must do some kind of good deeds or make some kind of irrevocable commitment before God would do such a thing. Yet, one of Paul's primary points is that God is the one who saves and there is absolutely nothing that a person can do to earn, to deserve, or promise in order to receive God's righteousness. Faith in Jesus Christ is all that is required. This is Paul's primary theme. Related to this theme is the issue of the law versus grace. The Jews who were raised under the law often had difficulty accepting that some kind of commitment and obedience to the law was not required for the salvation or for the Christian life. Even people today struggle with these issues because it does not seem right that a person could be saved only by simple faith. That's exactly what Paul is teaching in this book. So when someone seems to be exceedingly sinful, we think there must be some kind of thing that that person must do in order to receive salvation. But salvation is the same for all. It is a free gift from God given to all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The next theme we find is the spirit versus the flesh. And this is a word that Paul uses, flesh. This word is used in different ways in the New Testament, but Paul seems to be using it as our fleshly nature, our natural nature, or maybe some people say our sin nature. So the question becomes, how is one to live the Christian life and avoid sin if the law and works are not required? Paul teaches us that following salvation, a believer must surrender his life to righteousness, that's in chapter 6, and depend upon the Holy Spirit in order to live righteously. That's chapter 8. The flesh, or the that natural sin nature, cannot produce the righteousness of God, even though outwardly it may appear to be true. In other words, some people may appear to be living a good, righteous life, but they're doing it in the flesh. They're doing it in their own strength. They're not, they don't have a righteousness from God, and they're not doing it for God's glory. Inwardly, the flesh continues to lead us into sin. That's chapter 7. Thus, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us 
to accomplish God's work. So this flesh, this sinful nature versus the Spirit of God is a theme that we see in the book of Romans. And finally, the last thing would be the practical Christian life, which is the latter part of the book, that all of the theological points and arguments, arguments presented by Paul are intended to teach sound doctrine regarding God and his plan of salvation. However, the believer has been called to a new way of living in Christ and needs to know what is expected as a result of salvation. Paul covers many practical applications that are related to the people at the church in Rome. So here are some of the big picture themes that we find in the book of Romans that you should look for as, as we actually go through the book itself. Again, this is a very important book. It's, it's very doctrinal in a lot of ways, but it's important because Paul is teaching some very important themes here. That salvation is a free gift of God. It comes by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Good works follow salvation, yes, but they are not required for salvation. And it's an important thing that we need to understand and teach today. So what are some lessons that we might learn from the overall picture of the book of Romans? The first thing is that all people are sinful and guilty before God. I was doing a book study with some, some people, uh, some group of Christians, and we were going through the book of Romans and those first three chapters where Paul keeps hitting the theme that all people are sinful. We got to the end of chapter three and where Paul summarizes that and one lady said, okay, I got it, we're all sinful. <laughs> Paul makes sure that we know that all people are sinful and guilty before God. Justification and salvation are free gifts of God given to anyone who places faith in Jesus Christ and no works of any kind are required. We don't want to front load the gospel with the works of the Christian life. Once you are saved, once you are born again, once you have been justified before God, then through the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to live and produce good works, yes but that follows salvation. It doesn't precede salvation. Uh, God, number three, God gives us power over sin through the Holy Spirit that indwells us. This is how we can overcome sin, not by our own effort, not by our own struggle, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people struggle and fight and fight with sin all their life, and it's the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us power because we can't resist all sin in our own strength. Yes, there are some sins that we can resist. Some things that are not a big temptation to you or to me, we can resist because they're just not a temptation. But those things that really get us are the things that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. Fourthly, good works and fruit, as I already said, grow out of the life of a saved individual because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So again, we do expect to see good works of some kind. We do expect to see some kind of fruit, as some people call it. But these are the result of salvation, not the requirement for salvation. Fifthly, it is not our job to judge another person's salvation just because, in our opinion, we don't see good works or fruit. This is something that has become a favorite pastime of many believers because you see someone else who's struggling with sin, someone else who maybe doesn't have the right attitude about sin or the Christian life, and we want to say, well, that person isn't saved. The truth of the matter is we cannot judge a person's heart. If they claim to be a believer and they are living in sin, 
Scripture encourages us to go help that person, to help them come out of sin and to live a Christian life, not to stand back and point the finger and try to judge their salvation. So for life today, what, what are some things that we can clearly apply in our life on a daily basis? The first, I believe, is to be clear on the gospel and don't make the works of the Christian life as a requirement for salvation. Be clear. Jesus saves. He saves anyone who comes to him in faith. Faith includes confession of sin, understanding that we are sinful and we need a savior. We come and we turn to Jesus in faith, trusting him and him alone for salvation. Number two, I believe it's important for the believer that we commit our lives daily as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. This is what Paul talks about. We are living sacrifices. In other words, I'm alive, but I'm giving myself completely to Jesus. This is how we begin to live the Christian life and how the Holy Spirit begins to work within us. Thirdly, rely on the Holy Spirit daily to keep your commitment and to give you power over sin. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We just can't do it in our own strength. And fourthly, I would say, love other believers and make their benefit for life and growth your priority. In other words, what can you do to help other people? There's a lot in the scriptures about loving others. And Paul talks about this in the book of Romans as well. Well, those are some big picture themes of the book and some lessons that we can apply from the book of Romans. It's a, it's a very maybe intense book. There is a lot in the book of Romans. And again, we've only scratched the surface and looked at the big picture overview. So we'll be spending more time in the text itself in our next episodes. And so I encourage you to read ahead, begin reading the book of Romans, uh, begin uh, reading through it and see what questions you have. Again, it, it'll be an overview. We're not going to cover every single verse or everything that's in there. And it's going to be difficult to cover in one episode. But we'll begin that next time as we look, continue to look at the book of Romans. So I hope that this has been helpful for you. And I trust and pray that God will continue to bless you as you open up his word and begin to read it and to study it and to apply it to your life.